Hello everyone and welcome to another Charity Chat podcast. I'm your host today and my name is Osman Mughal. Today I'm speaking with Carla Miller, leadership coach helping female managers and leaders develop their confidence and influencing skills in the charity sector. In this conversation we discuss what is the difference between a manager and a leader, the characteristics of empowering and confident leaders, how to successfully influence sideways and upwards within your role and how to deal with common challenges such as imposter syndrome particularly if you are stepping up into a role for the first time. We also discuss what does effective leadership look like during COVID-19 and Carla shares examples of leadership best practice. We touch on the Black Lives Matter movement and how leadership within organisations can effectively respond to this vital and current movement. I hope you find this conversation useful and we welcome your thoughts and comments. Without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Hello Carla, how are you? Hi, um, I'm really well, thank you. Delighted to be on the Charity Chat podcast with you. Thank you so much and it's a pleasure to have you on. Before we start, I just wanted to see how you're getting um, on in lockdown. Um, well, I am balancing working as a coach with being a solo mum to a two and a half year old. So it's it's interesting. Sometimes he features on my conference calls. It's been nice to spend that time with him. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to some version of normality in the foreseeable future. I wanted to start by just allowing our audience to get to know you a little bit more. You've had such a varied and interesting career. So could you share a little bit more about that? So the roles that you've held and how you became interested in coaching and leadership? Sure. Yeah. So I'm a bit of a charity girl through and through. Always wanted to work in the charity sector. And I was a fundraiser for many years. I headed up fundraising at Samaritans um, and then went on to become director of fundraising and marketing at Rainbow Trust Children's Charity. After that, I um, decided it was very stressful being a permanent full-time fundraising director. And so I moved into interim roles and retrained as a coach as well. So I've been coaching now for about the last 10 years um, at the same time as having interim roles. So I've worked in a wide range of different organizations. I'm chief exec of a really small charity for babies with heart problems called Tiny Tickers, which I loved. And I made um, a very random detour into recruitment, ended up recruiting senior fundraisers for a year at Charity People, which many of your listeners probably heard of. And after a year, I was made managing director of the company. So suddenly I was managing people who knew a lot more than I did about that topic. Um, So that definitely tested and developed my leadership skills further. And I think I've always been interested in spotting talent developing people encouraging people and when I first had a leadership coach I was like this is amazing you get paid to ask people these questions and have these conversations with them so um, I think I heard about coaching probably about five or six years before I actually became a coach and I've been coaching primarily charity sector but not exclusively managers and leaders for a long time now I work a lot with um, directors and chief exec level Um, And I started to find that there were some themes coming through from the conversations I was having. So I created some one day workshops with them uh, for them around those topics. So worry, self-confidence, self-doubt, that side of things. Um, 
and discovered that when you put a group of women in a room together, it creates a really special space um, and they support each other in a really powerful way and you can have really powerful conversations. And that's the point where I decided that's where I wanted to focus. And that's what I've been doing for the last year or so is focusing primarily on working with um, female leaders and creating that space for them in groups so that they can grow and learn together, basically. So I'm really lucky that I get paid to do this for a job. I'm grateful almost every day. <laughs> it's such a fascinating topic and I'm personally interested in it as well. So I'm really looking forward to this podcast. So do you think your varied roles that you've held, do you think that experience helps you now when you're working with such a wide range of people within the charity sector? Absolutely. I think that I've worked in organisations from tiny, where I've literally had two members of staff right through to, I started my career at the NSPCC, which is pretty much the opposite end of that. And I've coached people from those different organisations. And I think a thing that makes you good at coaching, but also good at leadership is being able to see things from different perspectives. And so who knew that all that jumping around on my CV was actually going to turn out to be a really positive thing rather than the negative thing that perhaps recruiters told me many years ago. So shall we get into the discussion of leadership and coaching now? And one of the questions that I've thought over the past few weeks is the difference between managers and leaders, particularly when you're talking in COVID-19 times, you see people coming to the fore as leaders. What is the difference between a manager and a leader? What are the key skills and mindsets of confident and empowering leaders? Okay, brilliant. So first of all, the difference between the two. I think sometimes people use being a manager almost as um, a poor comparison to being a leader. And I don't believe that at all. I think managing is a really important skill set that lays the foundation for good leadership. So I think that being able to bring the best out of people um, and get things done is what makes you a really good manager. I believe that leaders then take that to the next level. So they are able to co-create a vision with people and take them on the journey to achieve that vision. They're able to create a culture where people thrive um, and they're able to map out the milestones and help people to celebrate their successes and pick themselves up when they fail. So for me, that's what a great leader does. And I tend to work with leaders in the context of people who have authority within organizations, but obviously anyone can show those leadership qualities. And so I think all leaders at the top of organizations need to show great leadership qualities. But if an organization can encourage all the managers to think of themselves and act like leaders as well, then that's an organization that's really going places and that's exciting for me. So that, that's what I would say is the difference between the two. So I think they're complementary skill sets. In terms of, the question was, what are the key skill sets and mindsets of uh, confident and empowered leaders? Um, I think that confidence is an internal experience. So you can look super confident on the outside without actually being confident internally. Um, so I work with a lot of people whose careers are very high flying, but actually internally, there's a lot of worry, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of imposter syndrome. So you can act confident without actually being confident and still be a fantastic leader. I think that empowering leaders um, are those that can create trust with the people that work for them, those that will let people do things their way rather than insisting that things are done the way they think they should be done. Um, I think that they are people that listen as much, if not more, 
than they talk. In terms of skill sets, I think that leaders need to work on three areas primarily. Um, mindset. So if you bring your own baggage to a romantic relationship, that relationship struggles. We all have our own baggage when it comes to work as well. So if you can work on your own baggage, um, your self-doubt, the stories you're telling yourself, perfectionism, all that side of things, that mindset makes you a better leader. I think how you show up makes you a better leader. So your authentic leadership style, um, how you act in meetings, for example, how you lead under pressure. And then finally, there are some really core leadership skills. And I think particularly at the moment, leading under pressure, managing through change are really, really important. Coaching and motivating your team. Influencing is my favorite one that I think leaders need to have. But there, there are so many different leadership skills that you can adopt, basically. I really like your definition um, or the difference that you've um, said is the difference between a manager and a leader. Anyone can be a leader. So it's not necessarily about the status or the job title. It's about the qualities that you bring to the fore. And I think that's mm. really important to, to bear in mind. The second point that you mentioned around trust, that is vital. Something that I really enjoyed uh, when you spoke about authenticity. Mm. So while you may have role models that you look up to, you have to do what comes to you naturally and be yourself. And you touched on influencing. Could you describe how you can improve your in influencing skills? Um, yes, so this is something I talk about all the time because I have a program called Influence and Impact. Um, so the foundations of influencing are first, like I said, managing your own mindset. Um, because often we're undermining ourselves in conversations. Often we are, um, I work with a lot of people who, are, who experience perfectionism and who overwork and think that if they just work harder and harder and harder, they'll get noticed and have more influence. And so I think working on some of those beliefs helps. I think being aware, self-awareness and awareness of how you're perceived by other people and being very conscious about what I call your personal leadership brand. So how you are coming across to the people you manage, to your colleagues, to your line manager, to your chief exec. And then there are some very clear influencing skills and strategies that you can learn. And for me, it all starts with being able to see things from other people's perspectives, because so often we come at things needing to be right and only seeing things from our point of view, particularly if we've had some long term tension with that person or on that particular topic. And it's really hard to influence when you're coming from there. If you can step back, if you can a build a relationship with the person you're trying to influence, but B, really understand what's important to them. Why are they so stuck um, on this particular opinion? And then if you're able to show that you understand that and put forward your point of view as an alternative and then start a discussion around that, that's how you can effectively influence, particularly when you're trying to influence sideways, which I know a lot of us are. There's always tensions between different departments. So it's sort of, that's, that's the simple basis of great influence and then you can layer lots of skills and techniques on top of that um, and obviously you've got to be really good at your job because if you're not no one's going to listen to you anyway what i want you to turn to now is the effect on organizations what is the importance of having confident empowering leaders in organizations 
what does that help organisations achieve in the long term? I think that's a really good question. Uh, I think that leaders are able to bring the best out in other people. And so if you invest in developing a leader, then that leverages a lot of change within their team. And actually, when they're learning to influence as well and navigate internally within an organisation, it can leverage change sideways and even upwards as well. And so I think that it's they stop bringing their own issues to things and they're able to bring the best out in other people. They're able to see alternative ways of doing things. Empowered leaders also have um, a phrase I'm sure you've heard of, a growth mindset. And um, so they are, rather than being really fixed about what they think other people's abilities are, about what can be done in a situation, they are seeing opportunity in challenges. They're seeing that you can develop um, the people in your team and you can help them to find their own, what I call superpowers or their own zone of genius as well and work to that. So um, I think if you don't have empowered leaders and if you don't have um, what I, I tend to call them visionary leaders, if you don't have visionary leaders at the top of your organization, then you're probably really stifling the people at the lower levels of your organization. So if I had to sum up what great leadership looks like, it probably is bringing the best out of other people and being able to set clear direction with those people. And just, I think leaders can see a future that other people can't see yet. And so keeping that vision and helping other people to see that vision of the future that they're working towards and all pulling in the same direction. One word that comes to mind when I think of leaders, whether it's political leaders or leaders within organisations, is the word charisma. But no one, I don't think, has come, that I've read of at least, has come up with what that actually means in practice. So I'm wondering what your insights are on this, because we all think of charismatic leaders and people that when they walk in the room, um, they fill the room, so to speak. So what does that, that mean to you or look like to you in practice? I think that's a great question. And, and I don't talk about charisma too much because we do all have this picture in our head that someone charismatic is a very extroverted leader um, and actually if I had to break it down I think charisma is a mixture of the energy that you bring and how you make people feel because if you think about people like Obama he's not a big booming personality like Trump is and yet he has more charisma um, so I think that you could have quiet confidence and make people feel valued and still be charismatic so it comes back to that point we were talking about earlier about having your own authentic leadership style, because if you can accept who you are, weaknesses, strengths and all, then you give other people permission to be who they are as well. Um, and so I don't think you necessarily want a leader that is the most charismatic person in the room. You want a leader that enables everyone in the room to be the best version of themselves. Um, and I also, I don't know why, but I think charismatic when I think it I think a male leader and actually some of the most compelling leaders that I would look at at the moment like um, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand um, are women and are leading in quite uh, an unusual way and yet doing so very effectively but I think in answer to your question how can we be more charismatic be really conscious and intentional about the energy that you're bringing to a situation. So before this podcast, I was really intentional about my mood and how I was sitting and just the energy that I wanted to bring to this discussion um, and be really conscious about the impact 
that you're having on other people, if you work on those two things, you will become a more charismatic leader. When you think of charismatic leaders, you think of male leaders. When I thought of that question, I was thinking exactly the same, but for female leaders. So that, that's quite interesting um, as well. That may be because I've just done a podcast on equality, diversity and inclusion. As well, So that, that's kind of been on my mind as well. But certainly Jacinda Ardern, but there's also many examples in history where there have been charismatic leaders. It just goes to show the way society makes us think about what is a charismatic leader. I was going to say that um, recently there was a study that came out from McKinsey, which is obviously a very big corporate management consultancy. And it was saying that to thrive in this kind of crisis, then you need compassionate leadership and you need qualities like self-awareness and vulnerability and empathy and compassion. And that was absolute music to my ears. Um, And I think those qualities have been underrated in leadership for quite a long time. Um, And it's great to see them being recognized. Um, And I think Jacinda has been an amazing um, example of that. I mean, she's shown compassion and strength and empathy and even humor. Um, I watched one of her online YouTube video things where she was um, saying social distancing does not apply to the Easter bunny and the tooth fairy. So don't worry, they're still going to get through. So she was even able to adapt her message to children, which I loved. Um, But I think that's really encouraging and really interesting that those kind of qualities are being valued by um, an organization that has been so corporate traditionally. One book that I've recently read, which um, I'm sure you've heard about, but I'm not sure whether you've had an opportunity to read, is um, by Brené Brown. So it's I'm called Dare fan. to Lead. Yeah. Um, and she has got a number of books out there. And I would recommend everybody to either read her book or get her on Audible because um, she is brilliant when she talks about the subject of leadership. Um, mm. I'm not sure whether you've had an opportunity to read her books. I have read the most, I've read a few of them, but the most recent one, is it about Daring Greatly? Leading? I've forgotten the actual title now. It's gone from my brain. I think it's Daring Um, Greatly. There we go. Daring Greatly. And it it talks a lot about vulnerability. Um, And I'd be really keen that the people at the top of organisations embrace that because it's quite a hard thing to embrace if you're in the middle of an organisation because you may not be in a safe environment. But if the people at the top of an organisation can Um, consciously create a safe environment where you can be vulnerable and you do have those honest difficult conversations and you have the growth mindset then that can be uh, transformative. I wanted to touch on some of the challenges that you may come across in your line of work being a, a leadership coach. What are some of the most common challenges people come to you with when they talk about leadership or coaching or just how they're feeling within their workspace? I think that there's a few reasons people come to me. Um, When people want one-to-one coaching, it's often because they are new to a role. So they've stepped into a new role. Perhaps they've stepped into a head of role, a director, a chief exec. um, And they're starting to realize that the things that made them successful at the level below are not necessarily the same things that will make them successful at this new level. Um, So that comes up a lot. 
influencing comes up a lot. So when people need to influence upwards and sideways, navigate internal politics. Um, also people that want to be taken seriously, um, either at the level they're at or they want to move to the next level, but perhaps their organization isn't seeing them as a credible leader at that level or hasn't spotted their potential yet. And then in terms of what they're feeling and experiencing, worry comes up a lot. Um, overworking, driven by perfectionism, imposter syndrome comes up a lot. And often they're really worn out um, because they're trying to do so much. And I think particularly at the moment during um, this time of this global pandemic, the duty of care that people are feeling towards the people who work for them is much higher. Um, and so they're taking a lot on their shoulders. So I know managers and leaders who are almost constantly at the moment fielding calls from people who are furloughed that, that want someone to talk to. Um, and so I think that leadership just got a whole lot more complicated and a whole lot more demanding. And I'm not sure when that will shift back again. Thank you for running through those challenges that you've seen. So you discussed imposter syndrome. How would you advise someone overcoming that type of challenge when you seek feedback from their colleagues, for example, that's not necessarily something that they would say about them? Um, well, I wish there was a really simple one sentence answer I could give you and solve it for everybody over this podcast. Um, if I could bottle it, I'd be rich. Um, I think firstly, the thing to recognize is that how you are feeling internally is in no way aligned, like you say, to actually the quality of your performance. So some of the most successful people in the world will have experienced imposter syndrome. And in fact, I think it's more common amongst high achievers because they're pushing themselves so hard, they've got such high standards um, and they're constantly out of their comfort zone. And that's when imposter syndrome crops up a lot. So I think the first thing is to accept that for some of us, it crops up a lot, for others, not so much, but to accept that it's okay that it crops up and that that voice we're hearing inside our head is not necessarily speaking the truth. Um, and so one of the coaching techniques I use with my clients is to personalize that voice, to personify it. So I call it your inner critic and we make their inner critic something um, almost laughable so that when we hear that voice coming up, we recognize that it's not necessarily true and we can question it and that can make a big difference. But essentially, imposter syndrome, I think, is driven by some beliefs that you have fundamentally about yourself, about what it means to be a good leader or to be good at your job, and about the world in general. And when you work out which particular unhelpful belief is triggering your experience of imposter syndrome, then you can reframe that belief, and people often see a huge improvement. Um, but the first thing I always say to my coaching clients is um, don't beat yourself up for having this inner critic because I know some, so many people will get on the phone to me and say, my inner critic is just really loud, way louder than most people's inner critics. And then they beat themselves up for that. And we all have an inner critic. For some of us, it comes out as imposter syndrome. For others, it comes out in different forms. It's just part of being human. Um, and so the first thing we can do is stop beating ourselves up for experiencing it. I wanted to touch a little bit and you've already previously mentioned the global pandemic. What I'm interested in understanding is given all the uncertainty and challenges it's brought to people around the world in workplaces, how effective can leadership support individuals through this crisis? One of the most important 
part of an organisation is its people and it must invest in its people. Failing to do so means that it may fail to meet its mission and values in the future. And that's particularly pertinent when we talk about the charity sector. How can effective leadership support individuals and what does that leadership look like? I think, first of all, I need to say I'm not an expert in this because I haven't lived through this before. So I am finding my way just like everybody else is and trying to find the tools I already have to support those experiencing it. Um, I think there's a few things you can do as a leader. One is to understand your own responses because everybody responds differently and everyone is having some kind of emotional or physical or mental response to this situation. We've been in lockdown for months now that is not normal and we can't expect to operate as normal so I think firstly understanding your own response secondly genuinely asking how other people are doing how they're coping and I think there's a lot of people that will say well how are you doing but don't really want to know the answer or will feel uncomfortable with some of the answers that they're getting and some of the emotion that perhaps comes at them but I think creating a space where people can talk about how they're feeling and appreciating that we all respond differently to upheaval so some people go into overdrive working hard some people kind of shut down Um, and I think what we've all seen is the um, they're calling it the Corolla coaster where basically one minute you're full of energy and high and the next minute you're on the sofa and you can't do anything and I know that I certainly have had days where I've been suddenly so exhausted it's like having jet lag and I think it's emotional jet lag from everything that's going on and as leaders we're absorbing that from our teams as well I think we're also making tough decisions so being really good at communicating the reasons behind the tough decisions the time frame for those um, making those decisions and communicating them with compassion um, and also being really good at admitting when we do things wrong because none of us have dealt with this before some of us are going to do things wrong and being able to put our hand up and go okay I didn't deal with that in the best way possible. I'm sorry about that. This is how I'm going to try and do it better. But I think primarily as individuals, as leaders, we need to be holding the space, a safe space where people can talk to us and also protecting our energy when we do that so that we're not being drained and exhausted with every conversation that we have. And then I think the other thing, and this really frustrates me when I have conversations with people at the moment, is that particularly the people at the top of organizations need to recognize this is not business as usual expectations cannot be as high of people when they are working from home they're isolated or they've got small children running around or they've got teenagers moping around and um, you know we are not working from home we are working from home surrounded by chaos during a global pandemic when there's loads of emotion going on and to expect people to achieve everything they were meant to be achieved and then probably do an emergency appeal on top of that as well plus check in on zoom with everyone in your team every five minutes it's a lot and so the leaders i'm talking to that aren't furloughed are exhausted right now and i think that we need to recalibrate Um, not just during lockdown but afterwards there's going to be a fallout from this the people who haven't been furloughed are working ridiculously hard and will need a break those that are furloughed have got a mental adjustment to make so I think it's about being understanding and flexible um, would be the direction I would go if I was leading a team right now Brilliant. There's some fantastic advice there for 
everybody that's listening. And this plays into the next question that I had was, which is around positive culture within organisations. What you've described there is more likely to happen where there is positive culture within organisations. One of my questions is, how can leaders, what role can they play to improve the culture of an organisation? And perhaps the first question before that is, what does it mean to have a positive work culture? Mm. So I think that you can create a microculture within your team if you need to. You don't necessarily have to be shifting the organisation's culture. Um, I work quite a lot with organisations on their culture, in particular working on values and behaviours linked to those. So creating values that actually sum up what it means to be the organisation at its best and the behaviours of what that looks like in practice. And that can be really inspiring. So I did some Teenage Cancer Trust and you read them and you just want to work there, basically. And so I think you can be really clear in terms of how do we want to treat each other, what's important to us as people as the basis of a good culture. I think the point that is becoming all too clear right now is that organisations have been and leaders have been trying to create a great culture, but they've been doing it from the perspective of someone who already has basically privilege within that organisation and haven't really been hearing the voices of other people within the organisation. And so I think it's really important to create a culture where everyone can thrive and where everyone gets to input honestly into what that means for the organization basically so there are voices that haven't been heard that need to be heard um, i mean particularly obviously at the moment we are um, black lives matter is top of the agenda it's a really exciting time for change um, and for people to really open their eyes to doing things differently and realize how we've institutionalized some things that put people at a disadvantage but it's not just about being anti-racist. I think flexible working, destigmatizing mental health. There's so many topics that need to change in the way we do things. Um, and I've worked in a lot of different charities and people always, you know, their heart is in the right place, but we don't always know how to, um, how to change things for the better. And we absolutely need some different voices there. And then in terms of what else makes a successful culture, I'm a massive fan of growth mindset because I think it allows you to innovate, to grow, to be constantly learning. And I think um, constantly learning is um, the, the way to progress in an organization, to learn about each other, to learn about your supporters, to learn about your service users, to learn about the wider world and to learn about ourselves as individuals. And so a culture that embraces growth mindset and learning, to me, is a really positive um, and appealing culture that people want to work in. I don't know what you think. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good summary of what I would see as being a positive work culture. Also, what I've realised, because I work in trust fundraising myself, and mm -hmm. a lot of trust foundations and even statutory bodies now require you to be quite innovative. As a fundraising team, you need to work with your services or your programs team to come up with innovative products. One thing that I think the sector as a whole lacks is encouraging innovation, partly because of our financial model um, and we're risk averse as it is. I think that mm. doesn't really allow us to be innovative. So a, a work environment which says it's okay to fail 
but fail mm. fast. So if you're going to fail at something, fail fast, learn from it and move forward. And an organisation, particularly senior management, which encourages that, I think those organisations are going to go a long way in the future. Because to solve some of our social ills, we need innovative solutions. The solutions of 10, 20 years ago are not going to work now, particularly following this pandemic. And like you've already mentioned, trust is a huge subject. So is flexible working. And another point, which I think is probably not discussed a lot when we talk about positive work culture is empathy standing in somebody Mm -hmm. else's shoes and understanding what they're going through and I don't think that's always an easy thing to do but I think it's an important thing to do particularly as you've mentioned the Black Lives Matter movement and the and at the top of the agenda is equality diversity and inclusion within our sector through organizations like the Institute of Fundraising and Charity So White so I think there's a range of different elements which you've touched on as well that create a positive culture. The next thing that I would like to touch on is if you can provide a few examples of best practice, which illustrates some of the things that we've already discussed. Yes. Um, I was thinking about this beforehand. um, And the example that sprang to mind for me when I think about this sort of honest leadership that's great at communicating was, um, I think it was last year, Click Sergeant did an impact report I don't know if you saw it but I absolutely loved it it was just so honest it didn't just focus on here's all the wonderful things that we've done it was really honest about well these are the things we said we'd do that we haven't been able to do and this is why we haven't been able to do it Um, and I think that um, at the time Kate Lee was um, chief exec at Click Sergeant and she is someone I hold up as an example of um, a great leader she's now gone to alzheimer's society i believe um and i don't know her personally but i have watched her communicate with her team i've watched her communicate externally and some of the things she did like that report but also in terms of fundraising and fundraising recruitment she talked about one team and they have this amazing fundraising campaign i'm sure um along with their fundraising director at the time rachel who is now um the chief exec of click sergeant this she just seemed to be able to pull people together through authenticity and honesty and to set that vision with them and I think that's a great example of that Um, and that's what we need at the moment really honest communicators and I'm sure she's doing quite a lot of that over at the Alzheimer's Society at the moment. I saw Click Sergeant's annual report or impact report to show what it had done well and what hadn't been done well and the reason why I think that resonated not only within the sector is because it just showed what everybody else was thinking. Mm. Charities, of course, did you shout about all the fantastic work they're doing, but not everything goes according to plan. To talk about what isn't working well is a huge importance because that is where potentially some of your push for fundraising um, can come from. Say, we've done X, Y, Z and has had a transformational impact, but these haven't gone so well. But this is why we need your additional income to mm. achieve what we want to do. Ha- having it presented in that way and so honestly is so important because I've worked in the charity sector for about six, seven years now. And you do get caught up. How can we present this to donors? Well, why don't we just be honest and say we've achieved X, Y, Z and that's had an amazing impact. But this hasn't gone according to plan. That honesty, that transparency as a sector, we like to talk about it a lot, 
But I think implementing it is not quite as easy because we're afraid of what the backlash might be. But as that example that you provided shows that there won't necessarily be a backlash and people will think actually that's probably the right way to go. Absolutely. And I think I don't have a specific example, but what comes to mind in terms of good leadership at the moment in terms of how people are responding to the Black Lives Matter movement um, is those chief execs are putting their hand up and instead of sending out a really corporate diversity and inclusion statement, they are saying, do you know what? You've, you've held a mirror up to us and it's not pretty what we're looking at. And we are responsible for creating this situation, even if unknowingly, and we will take responsibility for finding solutions to it and to listening, for listening to different voices. Um, and I just think being able to, as a leader, say, I am fallible. I did not get this right. Um, I'm beating myself up for not getting it right, but let's work together to do better going forward. I feel really encouraged when I see those statements coming out. And I've seen some of them from within the charity sector, quite a lot from outside the sector. Um, but I'd like to see more of that, more humanness in our leaders, I think. Also, what's really important is the whole EDI movement around equality, diversity and inclusion and around Black Lives Matter, ultimately we want the best for our beneficiaries and therefore to have a fully inclusive, diverse and equitable workforce with a range of ideas and a range of viewpoints and lived experiences. I think that's going to be so important to further interests and further opportunities for people that we serve. I wanted to end by giving you an opportunity to, to plug your work. I know that you have a wonderful podcast, which I've listened to, and I know that you run a number of workshops over to you and for you to describe and explain some of the great work that you're doing. Thank you. Um, I do have a podcast. It's currently on hiatus. Um, but it's called Inner Driven Leaders, and that's lots of um, short, really super short podcast episodes um, on things you can do to work on your leadership mindset. It will be coming back at some point when I find the time. Um, I have a couple of ways that I work with people. So I have something called the Leadership Skills Lab, which is an online leadership development program. That's not specifically for women. Um, it was developed with the charity sector in mind because I wanted to create something that was bite-sized, dynamic, gave me all the things I wish I'd had when I was a manager and was cost-effective. And actually, most people who um, join pay for it themselves rather than their organization paying. So there's the Leadership Skills Lab if you want to develop your skills as a leader. Um, and then the other thing that I have is my Influence and Impact group coaching program. So that's a group coaching program for female leaders who want to say goodbye to self-doubt, um, who want to get brilliant at influencing and who want to make more impact at work. And um, so I run that myself for people from all sorts of different sectors. Um, but I'm also running that with the Institute of Fundraising in September. Um, and that will be specifically for female fundraising leaders. So that might be of interest. Um, the IOF is the place to look for details on that one. It's coming up very soon. And my website is basically the place to go to find out about my online courses, coaching with me, that side of things. And um, so that's Carla Miller training .com. 
Um, it's not a perfect website. I spend more time coaching than I do creating my website. Um, but there's also a place there where you can reach out. Or I think on Twitter, I'm at Carla Charity. It might be at Charity Carla, but I think it's at Carla Charity. Um, you can also tweet me or DM me if you've got questions or you want to get in touch. I love chatting to people and signposting them to someone else if I'm not the right person to help them. Um, but yeah, and LinkedIn. I'm really active on LinkedIn. You're Actually, it's a good reflection of being an authentic leader because when I stopped being really corporate on LinkedIn and started being much more human um, about what was going on for me and balancing working with a small child, etc., suddenly I got so many more um, people wanting to work with me, so many more followers on LinkedIn. So I think being authentic helps you. Uh, really connect with people and what you say really resonates with them and so that's the vehicle I've been using but as an individual as a leader you can be like that with your team um, and there is we can't connect to people who are putting on a front because it's not real but we can connect human to human to people that are being open and honest and vulnerable and so it's worked for me in that context I think it works really well for leaders as well. Thank you, Carla. And that's a, a brilliant way to end the podcast. And I just wanted to thank you for your time and, and sharing your expertise and insights with us today. Thanks very much, Osman. And um, this has been my first podcast interview and you've been super nice to me. So thank you. <laughs>